You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash Gold. Think about it like this, folks. If you and I were living in our half Amish community, and we bartered, you know, I bring you a sack of potatoes, you bring me a bag of uh, lettuce. Or if we had a standard monetary system when we're not bartering that was based on pine cones, right? So I bring you a bag of potatoes and you give me 25 pine cones. Well, if we're doing this physically, the government has a very hard time with regulating that. Right, They can pass laws, but how are they going to regulate it? How are they going to know when you and I exchange a loaf of bread for 16 rolled cigarettes of tobacco that you grew in your backyard and processed? Or how are they going to regulate uh, our trading of pine cones? They can't, but when it's on the internet, it can be regulated. It actually can. They can pass laws and then regulate it. You know why? Because they can shut down all the exchanges. The government created the internet, folks. They can control anything on the internet they want. And when you have, I don't know what it is, we can look this up. I'm guessing 20, 30%, 40% of the internet is probably housed at Amazon Web Services or Google. And those companies are partnered with the government already. Uh, Amazon, we showed you has multiple CIA and NSA contracts, tens of billions of dollars. If the government tells Amazon to shut something down, Amazon's going to shut it down. That's just the way it is. So nothing on the Internet is truly free, ladies and gentlemen. It's not. It just doesn't work that way. But if we were trading in real life, very, very difficult for them to regulate that. Sure, they can pass laws, but let them try to enforce it. They're going to go put a government goon there from the IRS to stand there and watch us uh, trade a bag of potatoes for a loaf of bread in our backyard. Good luck to them. Good luck to them. But trying to do this on the Internet in this way, thinking you're going to break the bank, the back of the central banks and the government using cryptocurrency, that's just uh, being very naive, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's continue. Technical assistance. We received 43 requests last year from our 43 countries, and right now we have uh, 16 active uh, TA projects right now on CBDC. So we, you know, help our members to develop their capacity to also analyze the macro financial aspect of CBDC. That is, what's the impact of CBDC on monetary policy transmission, for example, on financial stability. We also work with them on the cross-border aspect, as Governor Perry and Cecilia just mentioned. That those are particularly interesting but also challenging aspects of CBDC. Uh, based on our TA projects, we see uh, two challenges, uh, mainly from our existing uh, uh, TA projects. The first challenge would be the, what uh, MD just mentioned in her speech. There is a hesitancy among some customers, some merchants, to join this ecosystem. So we need a better understanding of what's the cause, mm-hmm. what's, dri- what's driving that hesitancy. 
Okay, so what he wants to know is why certain merchants don't want to get on board with central bank digital currency. So he's saying they need a better understanding, a better understanding of why certain merchants are saying, nah, I don't really want to accept it. I don't want to get on board with it. So now they'll send out the uh, boots on the ground to include them. I mean, coerce them. I mean, include them. It's a system of inclusion. It's a system of coercion. So now they have to threaten them and force them into the system. And, and it'll always be done through a combination of the carrot and the stick. As you saw, they've been talking about at this conference, as well as the World Economic Forum Conference on Central Bank Digital Currency, of the carrot and the stick. How can they bribe the private sector into the system? And then how can they force them into the system? And eventually, once the system is in place, it will also be a system of carrots and sticks. Uh, Your life will be gamified through your digital ID, digital wallet, where you will be incentivized to do certain things that the government wants you to do. As you saw a few episodes ago on the Consensus website, they talked about governments and blockchain and how they can utilize this to track when your vaccines are up to date, uh, what your resume looks like, if you're worthy of getting a job, uh, smart city surveillance, all this stuff is going to be included uh, in this system, ladies and gentlemen. It's a system of carrots and sticks, but they have to coerce you, uh, either force you and threaten you into the system, trick you into the system, or bribe you into the system. So I'm glad, I'm glad that Bo Lee brought that up right there, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's continue. One way to solve that, uh, that hesitancy, I think, relates back to our data question. That is, if we can create enough value, you know, if by joining this ecosystem, if consumer can enjoy a lot more financial services, if they can get credit, they may be willing to join the ecosystem, mm-hmm. sure. right? Thanks. The same thing for merchants. See, there, there's the carrot. There's the carrot. Uh, he's brought this up multiple times now. Is that by all the data they collect on you, can they then dangle a carrot in front of you, which is if you're part of this system and you're responsible and you spend at the right time, at the right place, on the right things, then we will lend you money. Okay, and you're going to need credit in this system, folks, because you're not allowed to save. They haven't gotten into this publicly yet. Uh, but if, but I mean, we know this from the expirable money. That's public. And we can tie this back to the original plans from Technocracy Incorporated going back to the 1930s. There will be no wealth, no savings. So they are going to have to incentivize you with credit lines and credit limits and being able to borrow and extra tokens. It's going to run. Your life is going to run just like when you're working on a gig app. Whether you're doing Instacart, DoorDash, Uber, Uber Eats, Grubhub, any of these other ones out there. And it says, uh, do six deliveries today and earn an extra $7 or whatever the hell it is. So they're going to gamify life through a series of incentives to do certain things. But if you don't do certain things, then you're going to be penalized. So if you do six orders today, you'll get an extra, you know, whatever, $12. But if you don't complete them, you'll be docked $20. See how that works? This is what's coming. So he's talking about right here, offering up all this data 
to the private sector guys and then offering you incentives like being able to get real-time credit limits. Let's continue. If they can provide more service and if they can earn a profit, they're going to willing to join this ecosystem. So I think one way to solve this hesitancy is to create value by utilizing the data. So that's the first challenge. Okay, and let me bring this up because I've talked about this over the last 100 episodes. Money itself, in the way we look at it, means absolutely nothing to the central bankers, to the mafia bosses, to these economic terrorists. All right, they print the money, whether it's paper fiat currency, uh, metal coins, or minted digital currency. All right, it's all monopoly money. It's fake. It's just numbers in a spreadsheet, just numbers in an Excel spreadsheet. That's all it is. So to these guys, they can print as much as they want. They can mint as many digital coins as they want, and they can make their bank out inflated. The money system only works because we, the consumers, accept it as our paycheck and we spend it and merchants accept it when we bring it to them that is the only reason the monetary system works if elon musk was supposedly worth whatever it is today 200 250 billion dollars and he showed up at our half amish community where we trade pine cones all right Let's say we don't leave the community. We never need cash. We produce everything within the four walls of our half Amish community. And we trade in barter and pine cones. And Elon Musk shows up with uh, a train, uh, a whole uh, caravan of trucks, a flatbed trucks, with pallets of U.S. dollars stacked up and strapped to these trucks. All nice and neat, stacked high, saran wrapped. And he pulls up and he says, I have 250 billion US dollars. Let me in to your half Amish community. I decided I was a bad guy. I'm leaving the system. I would laugh at him. We'd laugh at him. We'd say, We don't take that. That is worthless to us. So Elon Musk, the supposed richest man on earth, shows up at our doorstep. And to us, he's nothing. He's worth zero because we trade in pine cones. Right, because we trade in pine cones. So the money system means nothing. But they utilize the system because the central bankers and the people above them, they're interested in power and in control. They want to be in control of everything and everyone. That's what the Internet of Things and the Internet of Bodies and all this stuff is about. So they use the money to bribe the 99%, the people below the one, it's actually the 99.9% because the point one is really the top echelon, but they use that to bribe everyone below. So that's how they know. If we say, we're going to give the private sector guys this and the merchants this, we'll offer the retailers this, we'll give them extra tokens, we'll give them a free donut. That's how they know they could bribe everyone because as long as we can spend it, and we can turn the extra token into a pack of cigarettes or a six-pack of beer or be able to spend it at a restaurant or be able to bring food home, then they know they can get you to buy into this system of complete and total control. It's so easy to figure out. So he's sitting there talking about how they're going to bribe everyone. Let's continue. The second challenge that we see from our members is that CBDC projects require resources 
and skills that are not within the traditional expertise of central banks. <laughs> right? They need to design products. They need to market the products. They need to price the product. And they need to distribute the product. So this is not the traditional central bank expertise. So central bank need to find a way to fill that gap, this resource gap, this skill gap. The good news is that you know, we have seen our members to be very creative and very innovative to try to fill that gap. You know, some of them would outsource certain aspects of this uh, development to the private sector. Some of them will have partnership with private vendors to co-develop okay. certain part of this project. Some of them will hire technical ex experts from the market to join the central bank so they can develop the core part of their, their operation internally. So there are innovative solutions to, to try to fill that gap. And we also see central banks, they learn from each other. Right. You know, central banks, like BIS, is providing a very good platform for central banks to talk to each other so they can exchange ideas and experiences. Okay, so really good stuff there. Really good stuff. So you see him talking about how central banks, which are the clients of the International Monetary Fund and Bank for International Sentiments, BIS is the bank for central banks. So he's talking about how they generally don't market. They're more business to business, really, versus business to consumer, uh, which is how you'd say it in the business world. So he's saying they generally lack the technical guys and the marketing guys and the product pitch men and all this kind of stuff. So they can either bring in technical expert consultants to come in and help them build this stuff in-house. They could form a partnership with certain providers to build this type of technology as we're seeing happen with the company Consensus. You know, or they can completely outsource it to a private sector company. So you see him talk about how the central bankers aren't really the tech guys. And this is where we go back to the World Economic Forum panel discussion we covered the other day with Francois, the head of the Bank of France. And I think he's a, a managing director at Bank for International Settlements. And he was talking about uh, how they also need to form these public-private partnerships because the private sector can do the innovation and the central bankers could bring the money the stability the trust in the system so as you can see they've got it all worked out ladies and gentlemen they are working through this stuff right now you can see clearly that this discussion was for their customers the imf the international monetary funds customers which are the central banks so they're working this out when we come back we're going to wrap it up there's only three minutes left in this panel discussion then we're going to move on to the um, second video, which is the World Government Summit discussion on a new world order. And they talk about central bank digital currency in there, technology, and many other things. Folks, we'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dusty Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. And my name is Dustin Gold. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this up so we can move on to the World Government Summit. So let's finish up here. There's just a few minutes left. I want to let it run all the way to the end. You never know what kind of nuggets you're going to pick up, folks. But I think you've got a solid understanding of all of this. I and mean, we covered a lot in the last 13, 14 episodes, I would say so. Uh, I mean, I'm talking a lot, ladies and gentlemen. I have a very clear picture of what these international crime bosses, these uh, mafia hitmen, these economic terrorists are up to, folks. Let's go back to this discussion here at the International Monetary Fund. Vera, I think we've got time for one more comment here. And when, 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 you, when you hear these, all these things, and of course, you know, Cecilia just said, uh, you know, what could be done versus should be done. Uh, you know, we, we heard the pitch for the SMEs, right, and wholesale versus retail and all these things. I love, yeah, central banks, they have enough trouble with monetary policy these days without having to try to design uh, CBDCs, right? So Vera, when you put it all together, in, in considering all the work you've done with inclusion and that sort of thing over the years, what do you think is, is, is the, the step, one of the steps that we need to bring to the table here to, as we wrap this up that, I know it's a big question. All right, so Kathy of Bloomberg is going to kick it back over to Vera Songwe, uh, the United Nations African Council. So let's see how Vera closes this out. I would say uh, exactly what you've been saying. We need to deepen digitization because it all starts with that. Yes, we can do a lot of it also on non-digital platforms, but it is so important to have those broadband highways flowing across the continent as almost a prerequisite for getting that done. And secondly, financial literacy. Financial literacy is an important, important part of the conversation because even when we have the CBDCs, if people don't know how to use it or how to use it well, then we get into issues of cybersecurity and then it, you lose confidence in the currency even before it becomes abroad enough uh, quick follow on that okay all right so that's important there folks so eventually we're going to do a little digging i i know what financial literacy is uh i know this has been a game that the bankers have played for many many years but we're going to do a little digging in the future into the financial literacy around central bank digital currency because i want to see how they are propagandizing people i want to see how they're targeting uh targeting individual sectors individual industries and markets I want to see if they're already weaving this into the public indoctrination center school system to target our children. I really want to look at that because I understand inclusion is coercion. I understand how they're going to push this stuff out to the wholesale banks. It's very easy. Uh, the wholesale industry. I understand how they're going to push it out to the commercial banks. I understand even how they're going to get it to merchants. But I want to see how they're going to run their propaganda, mind control, brainwashing campaigns through financial literacy to the folks out there, to me and you. That's going to be a very interesting topic. So I'll start doing some research on that shortly. Let's continue here. Does that mean that this is also then a, a role for broader government policies? Yes. A lot more, and, and again, I think even in this area, we need public-private partnerships. When I think, for example, of the Central Bank of Mauritius, they're doing so much work 
on digital literacy for CBDC use? Because we assume that people know how to use this or that they will know when it comes how to do it. I think we have a very good example in Africa with uh, Equity Bank and Mwangi, who grew a bank that was really a small-scale local retail bank in the hills of Kenya to a, almost a billion-dollar bank today with a lot of financial literacy. This was the private sector working with the public sector, identifying some of the constraints and talking to the public sector to say, if you fix this, I can go one step further. If you fix this, I can go one step further. And I think in that example, we can learn a lot and see how we can vulgarize this uh, financial inclusion on the continent and beyond. Oh, interesting. Yeah, we're going to dig into this, folks. We're going to look at this because I want to see exactly what they're doing here in the United States. I want to see what these uh, crime bosses, these international economic terrorists have planned for their so-called financial in, uh, literacy, uh, how it's going to work. As, as I've said here, um, you know what, there's, there's one minute left. Let's finish it up and then I'll come back and comment on this. All right, well, unfortunately, this, the clock is striking five. So I think I, I have to uh, stop uh, and asking more questions. And I, first, I wanna I start, I start by thanking our panelists. And of course, Bo Lee, Deputy Manager, Managing Director at the IMF, Cecilia Kingsley, uh, BIS Innovation Hub Head, uh, Vera Songwe, uh, Chair of the Liquidity and Sustainability Finance Committee and Co-Chair of the High-Level Panel on Climate Finance at the UN, and Governor Perry Wargio, uh, Governor of the Bank of Indonesia, who spends a lot, of, a lot of his time on CBDCs. And of course, but wait, wait, I have to thank Queen Maxima, Madam Gorgieva, what a great way to start. And all of you for being here. You, uh, it's just wonderful, doesn't it feel, when you have an attentive audience who really cares about this. You're really appreciative for the time you've all spent here. And again, thank you for coming and thank you for inviting me. Yay, yay. Okay, that's all done, folks. Let me just bring this up because um, it's very important. I, I've mentioned it on the show before. We'll do some research into this. But... What's going to happen here in the United States because you already have uh, a financial infrastructure? Now, let's just assume that many of you, um, let's just assume you work for an employer. But there are so many, so let's look at ourselves as consumers, okay? We have already been trained to utilize Everything from PayPal going back 20, 25 years ago when they connected that in with eBay, we've already been trained to use Apple Pay, we've already been trained to use Google Wallet, uh, Venmo, Cash App, Zelle. I mean, Zelle is a payment system like Venmo between banks. If I look at that project, probably a project coming out of the central banks, all right? That's how they got it to be adopted by the commercial bank industry so quickly. Then when you look at it, if you're a small business owner, right, how long has it been since we started using Square, Square Up, okay, where you would take a chip, 
reader or card reader and you plug it into your phone or your iPad and you can swipe a card right there at the farm stand. Or you could run a fireworks stand and swipe people's credit cards. Then along came Stripe. And Stripe is a payment processor like Square that you can just sign up for, plug it into your website, and the next thing you know, you're off and running. So all of these systems, and then there's a lot of other ones, uh, point-of-sale systems that people use for their little brick-and-mortar stores, uh, different payment processors you can use on your websites. So we've gotten used to the digital payment system already. Uh, the vast majority, probably 99% or more, walking around with a Visa or MasterCard debit card or credit card uh, in their wallet. Some people have an American Express card. So the system's already there. And the way that they could force adoption very quickly uh, and not violently, uh, almost done in a way that people willingly accept it, is to attach CBDC into any of those systems. So, if and this is where the financial literacy comes in. If I own a coffee shop, Dustin's Coffee Shop, and I am using an iPad register that operates on SquareUp, Right? People could come in, they could tap the card, they could slide the card in, uh, they could scan the card, uh, the stripe. Um, and I'm able to, tomorrow morning, it pops up and there's just a little message that says, hey, Square Up is now accepting CBDC payments. Okay, and somebody comes into my store that morning and they want to tap their phone, like Apple Pay, but pay with CBDC. Or they want to scan their Visa card or tap their Visa card or stick the chip into their Visa card and pay with CBDC. If my system accepts it, and I understand that I can either convert CBDC into actual money. See, this is part of how they've got to market this. CBDC is the same as money. That's what they're going to do. As long as I know I can spend it or I can move it into my account, I'm going to accept it. So literally overnight, you could have, I don't know, a million merchants that use Square Up accepting it. Forget about all the grocery stores and all the department stores, uh, all the home goods and the Marshalls and the TJ Maxx that you guys might still interact with. If you still go to the mall, those that'll be overnight. All these big chain stores, they're tied into this system already. So that happens immediately. So adoption from the merchants all the way down to the person who has a farm stand. Uh, there's very few people that I know left that only accept cash. Uh, I mean, there's a handful, but most now minimally have a square up reader on their iPhone and they scan your card. So the adoption at the low, 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 low end of the retail sector is going to be fairly easy. And then as far as just the people that are consumers, as long as you can still Apple Pay or Google Wallet or Venmo or PayPal or use your Visa or MasterCard, whether it be debit or credit card, using CBDC, you'll adopt it very quickly. There's not much financial literacy that's going to have to go into place there. Now, they said going into an indigenous area where people are unbanked is actually easier. I think it's much easier to actually introduce it here in the United States. How do you go from an African who trades in uh, acorns, in acorns to then switch over to using a smart device or something? That seems to be quite difficult. But for us, if you wake up tomorrow and the government tells you that your Social Security is being paid to you in CBDC, but don't worry, 
It rides right alongside your current bank account, wherever you bank, and you can use your Visa card or you can use your iPhone, your Apple Pay, your Venmo, your Cash App, whatever it may be, to still make the payments you make, but it's just going to be in the form of CBDC. That is going to be adopted, I'm, I'm talking literally overnight. Now, if they roll out programmability and expirability and all of these negatives, uh, things that would be perceived as negative, if they roll all that out, day one then yes there's going to be pushback and resistance to it but i don't think they're that stupid these people are brilliant they've gotten this far look at the technocracy that we live in now okay we're already there so i think the rollout would be easy but i am going to research uh, financial literacy on cbdc and see what these guys are already doing because that's going to be a very interesting show they just mentioned it so many times that it piqued my interest, and I'm going to look into it. Folks, when we get back, World Government Summit, are we ready for a new world order? Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. 